It's time for the Security Token Show. We're here to bring you the latest and greatest in security token news. Coming from across the globe to your living room. And delivering all the latest STOs and getting you up to date on what's happening in the market. So what are you waiting for? Let's get on with the show. And welcome back to this week's episode of the Security Token Show. We've got a little bit of a different layout here as Jason Barraza joining us in the guest host slot. But we're here in sunny Miami, Florida, talking all things tokenization, aren't we, Jason? Sure are. But before we get started on anything, we do want to thank our sponsor this week, which is Red Swan CRE. They have over 65 years of real estate experience based out of Texas, and they're tokenizing real estate. Ed Nowakity is leading the team over there. They have $4.5 billion worth of tokenized real estate so far and growing and over 7,500 registered users. Nice. So we're excited for some really cool news that's to come soon. But till then, we just want to say thank you, Red Swan, uh, for bringing the Security Token Show to our viewers this week. Thank you, Red Swan. Check them out. And with that, let's dive into our top five, all of our other industry news, as well as our main topic this week, talking about Ripple with a huge legal win, but it's only the first step in what is a long battle, the case of the year for a few years running. Let's get right into it. Okay. And diving into our top five news this week, these are the headlines you need to check out. You can't miss. And getting into our top five, Jason, number five is the United Kingdom expanding their tokenization plans. We talked about the MICA framework where they were laying out a very robust framework to help issuers figure out how to use cryptocurrency and digital assets, but they're taking it a step further, now launching a sandbox pilot program for tokenized securities. Specifically, they have a five-year relaxed regulation period where they're working on issuances alongside the leading companies in the space focused on digital equities, debt, bonds, and money market funds to kick it off. And they do note specifically, this is not derivatives, not crypto. This is just tokenized securities. And they're offering a more robust program to help issuers bring them to market. Fantastic news from the UK. I think it's really cool. They just passed right their 2023 Financial Services and Market Act. Now they're putting it to use right away. That was only a two-week turnaround. So fantastic news, UK. And number four, we have INX with a new security token. This is the Convertible Concepts Corporation's Security token offering, the CCNA. This is a Reg D, Reg S offering, so accredited and inter international investors only. But these token holders do get 40% of profits from all of their North American business uh, and the automotive transportation and logistics business. Essentially, the idea being that a lot of uh, transportation does have an empty leg, about 42%, I believe. Wow. It's crazy numbers there. So their idea is to monetize that and, you know, really getting rid of single-use equipment to be able to get some of that revenue going. So they've already raised $15 million for anyone that still wants to participate. They do have a $2,000 minimum. Uh, go find them on INX1. This is the seventh listing of a primary offering by INX in the last 12 months. So amazing opportunities coming from INX. We've covered them on the news. It seems like weekly they've got a new announcement coming out. Awesome stuff coming from a former company of the year award winner. This is true. And in the number three, IX Swap, 
Their launch pad has officially gone live. This is a crowdfunding platform for tokenized securities. On their website, they're announcing new listings coming very soon. But the idea here is that they've got all of the different pieces plugged in. They've got the issuers that are launching security tokens. They've got their own registered broker and compliant financial platform. They then have distribution mechanics plugging into other brokers for co-syndication and all the other pieces outlined in their launch pad to bring products to market, not to mention that they've got tens of thousands of dollars staked in multiple liquidity pools through a lot of their IX swap platform to date. Potentially, that could provide great liquidity and a sound user base to this platform coming to market as of now. And speaking of liquidity, we do have a panel on the liquidity problem hosted by the STA Success Network that Julian Kwan from IXSwap will be a part of. This is this coming Wednesday, July 19th at 9 a.m. Eastern. So it is available on the full Success Network plan and the STA Insights. Go check it out. It should be a very stacked and exciting uh, plat uh, excuse me, a panel, including this new news and insights. Totally, Kwan. Check it out. And number two, we have Mediobanca out of Italy tokenizing mutual fund units. Uh, through Satif Advisory's Lionity platform. This is essentially a part of their Mediobanca Global Multi-Manager 35 Usage Fund. Um, back in May, they offered this for select clients out of their bank. And now earlier in July, they offered it for certain clients within their wealth management arm, Chebanka. So this is very exciting news. A little bit more on Satif, who is really behind this and advising them later in the show. And I think it's interesting because Mediobanca is a $26 billion asset manager in US dollars. That's, I think, $23 billion in euros. So they're no small bank. And they did note one additional piece, just like here in the United States. The transactions, while they are being recorded on chain, the shares are recorded on a primary ledger that is analog for compliance things. So tokenization is still coming, but one step at a time. And into number one, the number one piece of news that you need to know this week is from Wisdom Tree. They are launching their Prime app. So it's an app on your phone for digital asset investing. Specifically, the 94 billion asset management firm is coming out with a platform that anybody can buy Bitcoin and Ethereum as well as tokenized gold. But the focus here is on their ETF products. They got that 94 billion in AUM through ETFs, and they're going to continue that with digital ETF shares. Specifically, they've got five different treasury funds that are offered that are tokenized, as well as two additional funds tracking the S&P 500 and indexes of the sort. So seven index funds live on the app. Word on the street is they actually have two more that are actually live already. Perhaps they are also live on the app as of recording. We'll have to see. But Wisdom Trees app live with seven tokenized funds at least and they're adding more today. That's super exciting news. Congratulations, Wisdom Tree and the Securency team as well, because Securency transfers is part of this uh, for some of these bonds and whatnot. And speaking of, we do have a spotlight on Securency coming up on July 26th. This is at 1 p.m. Eastern, also part of the STA Success Network. So check that out. And I'm sure we'll cover some of the news on Wisdom Tree with Securency. As we've covered, the STA Success Network is the place to get the in-depth research on what's going on in the space and some exclusive events. We talked to Providence, Anthony Morrow, the new CEO, had a spotlight with Peter Gaffney. We're talking to Securency, diving into everything going on there. IX Swap, their new launch pad and liquidity problem. All this stuff is getting solved through the Success Network. You got to check it out. But with that, we're going to send it over to Security Token Advisors Head of Research, Peter Gaffney, for the institutional news. All right, welcome back to the institutional segment of the show. I'm Peter Gaffney, Head of Research at Security Token Advisors. 
wanted to open this up with a nod to Broadridge, the transfer agent and infrastructure provider that services trillions of dollars daily of transactions in the financial markets. Past week, Broadridge published a report titled Return on Innovation, Intraday Repo Has Arrived at Scale. In it, the firm depicts the tangible value, the tangible value add, rather, of its distributed ledger repo platform, DLR, noting specifically that sell-side firms typically get charged for a full overnight repo when in reality, they're just looking for a few hours of coverage. So Broadridge's solution is that service, which groups like Societe Generale, UBS, and DRW are using, that provides more precision and real-time closure when it comes to repos. The firm was even quoted in a Forbes interview in Q2 2023 to save a million dollars for every 100,000 transactions. Sogjin has similar. Uh, And needless to say, when our advisory clients look at what they can do with tokenization, it certainly goes beyond this public-facing feeder fund model everyone's looking at. So major shout out to Rob Krugman, Paul Chapada, Aviad Stein, and the Broadridge Innovation team for ushering things forward on the underlying infrastructure side. It's always nice to see tokenization in the capital markets and greater fintech limelight, which is why I wanted to share that Goldman Sachs and its digital asset platform, GSDAP, won Euro Money's Financial Innovation of the Year for 2023. GSDAP is focused on digital bonds thus far, including European investment banks, 100 million euro issuance in Q1 of this year, noting about 15 basis points in savings just on the proof of concept. Now, this thing is going to be a beast at scale, and put that into the broader context of digital assets damn language and the Canton network with 30 plus institutions onboarded and so many different facets and components of the capital markets are set to benefit from those costs and time reductions at scale. Major props to Matthew McDermott and his team at Goldman for putting digital bonds on everybody's map. Also something to keep an eye on is that Coinbase just launched its base mainnet for developers with public rollout intended in August of this year. So BASE is actually the firm's layer two blockchain that I expect to garner some serious interest from the asset tokenization side based on early conversations we're having. Congrats to Anthony Basili and the Coinbase team as the industry continues to progress towards this whole real-world asset tokenization thesis that we know and love. And that's all I have for this week. I hope everyone enjoyed. The State of Security Tokens Q2 report is in the works. I'm excited to bring that to the market shortly. Until then... We'll take a look at what Sam Sachs has on the market update side. Hello and happy Monday. The security token market cap begins the week at $16.8 billion. And we have an action-packed day. We'll start with INX as they announced that it will enable the primary capital raise and issuance of Convertible Concept Corporation CCNA token, a digital security that offers accredited international investors the opportunity to participate in the greener future of automotive transportation and logistics. With $15 million already raised, the SEC-regulated token is available for a $2,000 minimal investment. In other news, Boston Alexander, a boutique investment management firm, announced the launch of its first digital securities offerings, Baffle, B-A-F-L, which will provide investors with access to a new and innovative way to invest in real-world assets using thematic disciplines. The Baffle tokenized security is designed to help people invest and trade real-world assets with less friction. It gives investors the highest performing assets in real estate, infrastructure, and renewable assets through a thematic investment process. The digital securities offerings will allow investors to invest in a pool of assets which will be tokenized and made available to invest via either the blockchain or in traditional book entry shares fully interchangeably at the investor's discretion. 
And in other news, Randolph and Main Capital Group has announced the launch of Fraction. It is one of the first debt security tokens aimed at real retail investors who wish to invest alongside institutional investors in the most sought-after real estate developments in the United States. The tokens will have a five-year life or an annualized cash yield of 10%, which is extremely strong in this market, and a five-year IRR of 150%, even more strong. And finally, Ondo Finance, an Ethereum-based asset manager, is broadening its market with the help of Polygon Labs in a bid to drive greater adoption of tokenized prop products within DeFi. By expanding to Polygon, Ondo is looking to make its first move beyond the Ethereum mainnet since it became the first company to tokenize U.S. Treasuries in February. When the Ethereum-based layer reaches capacity, it drives up the cost of transactions, and Ondo says the latest move is going to bring these costs down. That's all for now, but have an amazing rest of your week, and we will see you next Monday. Ripple, the company behind XRP, the cryptocurrency, has been legally fraught with all kinds of challenges because they conducted a ton of token sales and it's become the highest profile case in the SEC's action against cryptocurrencies. As Herwig dubbed it a few years ago, it was the case of the year that's now dragged on multiple years. And we have now been received a summary judgment on the first implications of this court case. The SEC alleging that XRP is an unregistered security. We've talked about Gensler's opinions on crypto for quite some time now. XRP, however, says no, we are not. We have done it a different way and they rejected the SEC's premise. Well, the Southern District of New York has come out with the first summary judgment on this case. And let's just say it's convoluted at best. First off, the jurisdiction decided that the private sales of the cryptocurrency and the public sales of the cryptocurrency are really two separate types of, of classifications here. Something that I think go, flies in the face of Gensler looking at a specific asset and deciding if the asset itself is a security or not. In fact, the courts came out and said that as Ripple has sold to venture capital firms and hedge funds in private sales, those specifically are securities, while the programmatic distribution and sale of the token to retail are not. They suggest that these are not securities. And so I have a lot that we can dive into today, Jason, but basically the courts came out and said, well, sometimes, but not always, as their initial summary judgment, what are your thoughts? It's really an interesting development here, right? So right, right off the rip, you know, a couple hours in, Bitcoin hit an all-time high for the past 12 months. Got those notifications coming in. Everyone's going wild. But what does this imply for the current industry and where we're at today, specifically as it relates to tokenization? All right, well, let's take a look at a couple platforms or a couple of things going on, right? We have Prometheum, right? They just got their special purpose broker dealer license. They've been in the news recently as well. But the Kaplan brothers essentially saying, in summary, they would want to trade cryptos under a regulated platform in case some of these cryptos are deemed securities, right? So I think it's a good uh, preventative measure. Now with this new... A development where this specific cryptocurrency is no longer deemed a security, well, that might have an implication on their business model maybe there. Now, this also sets some kind of precedent for future or other cryptocurrencies that may be in similar situations where even they won't be deemed securities either because maybe they fall under same uh, you know, conditions, right? So I kind of say this all to for two, two reasons. One is because 
you have different platforms that need some clarity as to what they can and cannot trade. Coinbase is in the spotlight right now. Maybe this provides some kind of uh, things in favor for them in their case, right? Because now that these aren't cryptos, maybe it's not uh, no longer an infringement on securities laws. So that's good for them in their current case. And then about a month ago on the What's Driven newsletter, it did cover a new bill that came. It's a bipartisan bill from Majority Whip Tom Emmer and Representative Darren Soto. And essentially what it says is we need to separate an initial capital raise, maybe for early stage projects that need to raise capital to fund it from the coin or token itself, right? And so essentially the idea being that you no longer want to transform a crypto into a security. Rather, it wouldn't be a security to even begin with. And so this goes back to a primary raise versus secondary sales, what platforms they can trade with, what kind of investors they can have in the beginning. So very similar things here that just happened with Ripple. I think that's going to uh, be a catalyst for this new bill on the house um, as it's been presented. And so I, I can only imagine that there's going to be faster developments there because of this. Right. But what are your thoughts so far on kind of what we're going yeah. on here? What are your insights? So I have a few things. So the first thing that the course did was they split the fundraise and the sales of these tokens into three categories. They said that there were institutional sales, as we talked about. These were to the private institutions, the venture capital firms, the hedge funds. They had the second category, which was programmatic sales to retail, we talked about. And then they had payments for services, for employees, for vendors, and for things like that. And so if we go a quick refresher on the Howey test, this is the legal standard that we use to decide what are securities based off of a ruling in 1930s, which specifically said, if you give an investment of funds into a common enterprise with the expectations of profit, then what you're receiving in return for that investment is deemed a security, which means it needs to follow all these different regulations. So let's talk about those three categories that the judge and the courts ruled happened here in the Ripple case and talk about each one. First one, institutional sales. They said this was a security. So they said that it passed all three prongs. Therefore, this was an investment contract with the expectation of profit into a common enterprise with money. So therefore, that's a security. The second piece was programmatic sales to retail. And the courts said specifically that this failed prong three, which was expectations of profit because of the fact that they said that retail were buying XRP without knowing that it was coming from Ripple. And so because of the fact that they were just buying a crypto asset, they were buying this thing for utility, they didn't have a common enterprise to point to or a, a larger company to point to that would create an expectation for profit. So therefore, it's not a security. They went further to say that just because something is purchased for speculation does not be mean that it is a security. And that was the main reason that it failed the Howey test for retail. And the number three, they talked about payments for services. In this case, the courts suggested that it failed prong one, investment of funds, because the employees and the vendors were not actually investing in the token. They were receiving these assets as a form of payment, potentially suggesting that payment tokens may not be securities. However, if you're like me, some of those arguments feel a little bit flimsy. And so my main conclusion here is actually that this is just a single district court in the Southern District of New York. That means that there will certainly be appeals here and there may be fair arguments to suggest that some of those failure points in Howie may not stand. Let's talk about the first one, expectations of profit. Just because they may not have known Ripple specifically was 
a part of it, which I honestly am not even sure if that's the case because everybody calls it Ripple, even though it's XRP as the token. So if everybody's calling it Ripple, it seems like maybe they they were, but that's besides the point. I don't necessarily think that you need to point to the actual underlying enterprise. When you look at Telegram's court case, Telegram wasn't actually issuing the token, but they suggested they would contribute significant development resources in order to facilitate the Telegram ecosystem. And the courts found that that was a... That was a, a Good enough excuse to suggest that investors were participating because of Telegram. I find it to be pretty similar in terms of the structure for Ripple. So not sure how that one's going to hold in appeals. On the other side, the investment of funds piece, this one honestly feels even a little bit flimsier. Just because you're compensating somebody in stock doesn't mean that the stock is not stock, right? So, so I'm not sure that that for me, is a strong enough argument. That being said, I don't necessarily think that all cryptos need to be securities. I think that there's probably fair game in between. I do think the biggest winner here is that the court suggested that the exchanges themselves that were facilitating the trades of these assets are not liable and are not conducting broker-dealer activities by facilitating the transactions of XRP to retail, which I think is a huge win. And this is just generally great press for the crypto scene. However, I think we still have a long battle to fight in the appeals court. 100%. That's actually a conversation we had yesterday at the time of filming yesterday, Thursday, with Mark Powers, who is one of our advisors at a security token group. And his experience at the SEC and, and whatnot, his interpretation just when the news came out, it was mid-conversation, the news came out and we just started diving into it. His stake was similar to yours on the platforms itself, right? The exchanges, like, look, at the end of the day, it's like, this is on the issuer. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to sue someone, sue the issuer, not the exchange itself. And then to your earlier point on prong three about expectation um, of profits, it's like, okay, well, that goes back to my earlier point on the, the new bill, which was, who are you expecting those uh, profits from? Or through <laughs> the work of who, right? If it were yeah. supposedly decentralized, like who are, who's going to put in the work, right? So that separates again. So it's fascinating. Yeah. Very, very fascinating. I think that this does hurt the SEC's narrative, though, because this is a court disagreeing directly with the SEC. And this will affect the court of public opinion as well, how people view the perspective on the SEC is they've had this really, really hard stance where they've given up nothing. This is pretty common in politics, it seems like these days, where both sides take the strongest, most staunch opinion because they don't want to find some way to meet in the middle. And the one consequence of that is that if there are chinks in the armor, you lose a lot of ground because you have no room to budge. And so potentially a loss like this in the greater case would be very tough for the SEC, who has built their whole argument around a lot of the things that the courts just directly disagreed with. Yep. And look, leave it up to the courts, right? At the, at the, end, of, uh, at the end of the day, the SEC is really part of the executive branch. Right. So when you have the courts fighting back here and really giving their opinion and ruling on this, it just also goes to show kind of like, you know, what America's built on and how things work here. So what does this mean for security tokens? I think that it means that, you know, we're we're gonna see a little bit less in terms of, you know, which cryptos are deemed securities, right? And whatnot. So that's gonna leave a little bit more room for distinction. Uh for the platforms themselves, I think we're going to see for the regulated ones, really just focus more on tokenized security. Stick with what you know and stay in your lane there. For the crypto, stay on that side. Sure. Um, and yeah, but... I think that's if- a good thing because unlike Prometheum's stance and many of the SEC's stances on cryptocurrencies, I don't believe that cryptocurrencies 
are security tokens. And the reason why is because the cryptos themselves don't actually own anything underlying. I believe a security token actually needs to own an underlying asset. Perhaps a cryptocurrency was sold as an unregistered security or it was a fundraise mechanic that was non-compliant. But I don't think that just because you're, you're doing improper fundraising, that doesn't necessarily mean that those tokens now are securities with the investment sense. I don't believe that they represent anything underlying. And so they're really just pieces of paper, or in this case, numbers on a screen that are represented in a transactional system and automate a lot of things and, and are used in the crypto and blockchain economy, but do not represent equity, do not represent rights that investors would come to expect. So I do think that it's a good thing to draw a differentiation here. If Ripple was selling equity in their company via a token, that would be a security token. Right. If they're selling a transactional currency that was used to fundraise their platform, it might be an unregistered token sale. It may be a non-compliant fundraise, but that doesn't make the underlying asset a security with respect to how we define securities and what those investment contracts traditionally look like. Exactly right. You're separating the contract itself from the coin and whatnot. I would relate this also to security token offerings that come with an added utility token as a bonus, right? We've seen this a couple of times, uh, whether the utility tokens may be like a voucher for, mm -hmm. um, you know, the gift shop at whatever you're investing in, but that's represents the security token, which represents your equity in that company, for example, and then a utility token that's redeemable for something else. And similar use case, right, where we're separating the two to make sure that that distinction is clear. And that's a wrap. That's our main topic. It was a, a BP one this week talking everything about the Ripple court case, and we'll just have to see how it moves forward. This has been an amazing episode. Leave a comment down below if you have any suggestions for or thoughts on this main topic because we'd love to hear from you. And with that, let's close it out with our companies of the week. Kicking off our final segment of the week is our companies of the week where Jason and I picked two companies that we wanted to highlight for doing something cool in the industry that deserves some extra recognition. So, Jason, how about you lead us off? Who's your company of the week? Sure thing. My company of the week goes to Satif Advisory. This is an advisory slash consulting offshoot of an Italian university, uh, really helping Medio Banca, which was our number two in the top five this week, with their tokenization of mutual funds. It sounds like they're using now their own Lion Lionity platform, excuse me, to do that tokenization. They've previously been in the headlines as well earlier this year where their institutional DeFi for security token uh you know, situation here with different uh, vendors such as Fireblocks, uh, Reply, and Lake Laters, along with other banks in Italy, also looking at tokenization. So I have a huge respect for Satib and their advisory team. It sounds like they're tangibly doing things over and over on the headlines, and they're really getting involved with institutional DeFi and finance, as evidenced today by tokenized mutual. Nice. I think that's a, a great choice. I've heard of them in the news many times. It seems like they're super active in the space, and this is a great deal that they're bringing to market. Absolutely. And so for me, Jason, I want to talk about my winner, which is Ondo Finance. Ondo Finance. Ondo Finance is expanding to the Polygon blockchain from Ethereum with their tokenized fund products. They have over $133 million in issued treasury funds that are backed by prepackaged BlackRock ETFs that they then put in a wrapper and they issue into the DeFi economy. They also allow you to pay with stable coins. So it's really onboarding that experience into a crypto native ecosystem. I think this is crucial in helping the crypto economy translate into more mature financial products, which is a natural progression for the industry. You do have to KYC. So you crypto folks, you still have to KYC to own securities. 
But Onda Finance seems like they're doing it the right way. And I just wanted to give them a shout out. No, absolutely. Great choice. I think to your point, yeah, right there. They're doing a great job of keep them, keeping the crypto money, the Web3 money in Web3. No, especially with interest rates and whatnot. It's like, why take it off? Right. Keep it on and you're going to earn a yield generating product here yep. through Hondo. And that's that. Leave a like. And obviously, as we said before, give us a comment. Let us know what you want to hear from us. Shout out Jason on Twitter. Let him know how much you love his appearance today. We thank you so much for watching. And as always, happy tokenizing. Happy tokenizing. Happy tokenizing.